welcome to the Faithless Brewing Podcast. I am David Robertson, coming to you from a warming Twin Cities, and I am joined by the CEO of the Faithless Brewing Podcast. He is back in America, the greatest country in the world, Dr. Daniel Schriever. What is going on, my friend? Hello, David. Hello, hello. It's good to come home to your voice. Good to be here. Yeah, I survived the uh, holiday travel season. Hopefully everybody had a safe uh, Christmas or whatever they celebrate. And New Year. I think probably by the time that people will be hearing this, it should be 2023. Yeah, I think this is our first episode of 2023. I'm frankly amazed that I'm still alive in 2023. This is incredible. Incredible stuff. Exceeded my expectations of myself. Yeah, so if you're listening to this at the start of the new year, you hopefully will have listened to our end-of-year summary, which we would have released uh, last Friday. Uh, Went over some of our highlights and lowlights of the uh, magic world, but today we are in potpourri season as we are in the uh, dying embers of uh, Brothers War, and we are looking forward to uh, the new sets. Spoilers keep trickling out here. Yeah, we got some deck lists to ring in the new year if we want to be forward-looking about it or to just get rid of some of the clutter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is the year. This is the year we get it all straightened out. <laughs> exactly. So, we got about eight new deck lists that David just dropped on me one fine morning. <laughs> we'll get to all those, but before we dive in, uh, we do have a couple of previews from Phyrexia All Will Be One. And before we dive into all that, just a little housekeeping, a brief reminder that if you're enjoying the podcast and would like to support what we do, the best way to support us is by going to patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing. You can make a pledge at any tier you are comfortable with that will get you immediate access to our wonderful Discord community. And we have other benefits as well. You can vote for cards. We've got some merch shipments coming out soon. I'm Excited to be unpacking the box that has all of our playmats in storage somewhere, and I've got a few to mail out. And yeah, if you want to get in on all that, patreon.com slash faithlessbrewing is where you can find it. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe your uh, New Year's resolution is to support your favorite podcast. And maybe that's us. <laughs> <laughs> As the crucial follow-up. podcast. <laughs> And then buy the transitive property. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Trickle-down effect of supporting creators. Okay, so we are getting a trickle of spoilers. I think the full spoiler starts, you know, at the end of January, right? Like I have no January idea. 21st or something. I think the set comes out around then, yeah. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. It's the, the, I think the full run doesn't happen for like another couple weeks yet, but they're trickling a few out to keep, you know, the set on uh, people's minds, keep, uh, <laughs> yeah, just so people don't forget about all their spending time with family. So the big spoiler was the newest Kaito, Kaito Dancing Shadow. Two blue-black legendary planeswalker, Kaito, has three loyalty abilities and static texts. We're talking about a four-mana walker with three starting loyalty. And the static text reads, whenever one or more creatures you control deal combat damage to a player, you may return one of them to its owner's hand. Effectively, you may ninjutsu that creature. 
If you do, you may activate loyalty abilities of Kaito twice this turn rather than only once. Okay, so what are these loyalty abilities? Well, for plus one, up to one target creature can't attack or block until your next turn. So you can use this your main phase, target one of their creatures, it's freezed out of combat through this turn cycle and the opponent's turn cycle. That's the plus one. Plus zero, draw a card. Nice and clean. Minus two, create a 2-2 colorless drone artifact creature token with death touch and when this creature leaves a battlefield, each opponent loses two life and you gain two life. And that is a leaves the battlefield trigger. So if you are going to bounce it, for example, with Kaito's static texts, although you lose your drone, you do get a nice little two point life drain. Yeah, worth noting that Kaito's static text uh, doesn't stack. So let's say you have a first strike damage phase and then a normal strike damage. It doesn't allow you to activate Kaito an additional time, just twice. So you, oh. you can't ever do more than twice. Okay. Processing that disappointment in real time, but <laughs> you, can, you can bounce back from that. <laughs> have to find the plays of hype again. All right, so I can maximum activate Kaido twice this turn. Right. So a lot of questions posed by this. I mean, first of all, shout outs to Wizards for finding some new design space. You know, this is an interesting static text. It's flavorful. It's on theme with the kind of ninja. You know, I said ninjutsu. That's not exactly what it is, but you can see how it kind of works. Your, your ninja gets through for damage. And if you want the bonus, you send that creature back to your hand and then you are left with an extra loyalty activation. So draw two cards or freeze out two of your opponent's creatures or draw a card and make a token. There is no ultimate to speak of on Kaito. So you're just choosing from these three things over and over and over again. And I'm not sure how powerful they are, to be honest. Yeah, I think the first thing you want to do is say, okay, let's just put our hand over the static text. Are we interested in playing this Planeswalker without it? Because that determines how you need to build your deck. So I'm going to talk about it from a Pioneer perspective. In Pioneer, there are only two Planeswalkers that cost four mana that see play on rate. And those are the four mana Sorin and Chandra Torch of Defiance. And both of those are seeing less and less play. So like Red Black has played some number of those at various times. Now I think they're basically just playing Shieldred uh, and aren't playing any four mana walkers at all. So there are basically no four mana walkers being played in the format. Would you consider the Wandering Emperor to be a four mana walker or would that be like a four and a half or five mana walker? Yeah, it's never played on your turn four. Um a, it also just doesn't get played very much anymore, period. Like, blue-white plays a couple of them. Um, but yeah, I guess that that's fine. That's that's not like a walker that's played on right. That's a fancy removal spell. And I guess we should mention Karin the Great Creator, although that's, again, not quite the same category of card as the other two you mentioned. Yeah, I mean, yes. In general, there just aren't very many Planeswalkers played, period. Mono Green plays most of the format's Planeswalkers. Um and they're, they're, they kind of basically form a combo shell. Uh, yes, ma um, making a bunch of mana, casting Karn, it can feel like a value walker at times, but um, it's basically just a place to, to use all the mana that you're generating in that deck. Yeah, I think the original promise or premise of Planeswalkers is that once you get it down, you accumulate value turn over turn by activating a bunch of times. And those cards tend to not see play in Constructed. 
Yeah, and this more than Chandra and Soren, which are the two closest analogs, um, has to just straight be a value walker. The Chandra ultimate is always a threat, and even Soren, you know, drawing and ultimating is is somewhat of a threat. So that tells me that just on rate, this isn't good enough, right? So we need to be doing something with the static text some amount of the time for this card to see any play at all. Although it's actually much closer on rate to Soren, like. Plus zero draw a card is not that much worse than plus one show them the card you drawed and take some damage draw a card. Like the extra loyalty is not worth that much of my life most of the time. Yeah, I wonder about that. You know, we were talking about Sarkon and Fireblood last week when we were doing our, our Dragons episode, our initial exploration of Rivaz of the Claw. And I found that with, with Sarkon especially... Just the three loyalty is such a bummer. And it, he goes up in loyalty. Right? Even starting at three and going up, it just doesn't feel like enough when you need this card to stay on the battlefield. And I think Kaito just being at three loyalty and zeroing to draw a card feels kind of bad, right? That's like, you know, you can play Jace the Mind Sculptor and zero it, but then it's just going to die to a lightning bolt or a bloodbraid health. It's just not enough loyalty. And I think at a certain point, you do need to be plussing on your card draw to like really feel yourself putting the game out of reach. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm saying I don't think this card is can just be played fair. I think the fact that this works with attacking means much like the three-mana Kaido, which I think is one of the better design Planeswalkers of all time. This is a card that's going to be very good when you're ahead. But unlike that Kaito, I like that this has a plus one ability that's actually quite good when you're behind. Mm. Um, so I think this can actually fit multiple roles if you're ahead and you can blink a creature for value and then like draw draw and then the creature you blinked let's say draws a card or kills a creature or whatever uh, has a come into play ability that's relevant we'll i'll just we'll just say that generally then i think this card is very good and unlike the three mana kaito which does nothing if you're behind you basically just lose the game um this does something right going up to four loyalty and making their best creature not able to attack is uh legitimately reasonable so I think there's something there. I think you, but I think what we determine is you must have creatures that you are going to blink one for one reason or another. Yeah, no, a lot of people in our Discord were very, very high on Kaito when it first was revealed. And I think the biggest thing that I couldn't quite follow was I do not think that bouncing a creature to your own hand is ever a good play. <laughs> like, like in a generic, uh, hypothetical game i just can't imagine myself ever having time for that it requires you to be ahead on board and be so ahead on board that you don't mind putting yourself behind on board like the example given was you know i just have any any three drop creature you know pick a good one graveyard trespasser or something like that connects for damage with kaito and now you you get to bounce the trespasser you know it has an etb effect sure and do two of kaito's thing to me, that feels like a losing play. That feels like giving my opponent the chance to get back into the game. Now, that's on turn four. That's the turn that I tap all my mana to play Kaito. It's a different story if Kaito's already in play. You know, I untapped with Kaito, and then, you know, I probably have enough mana to whatever I bounce to my hand, immediately recast it so that I still have a creature in play for next time. That's a little bit different. But that initial turn, the turn where you have to invest the four in Kaito, I don't see myself using the static texts in almost any scenario, unless I'm like already way ahead in the game, in which case I didn't need a Kaito. Yeah, I kind of agree. I, I, the idea of just bouncing a card like Graveyard Trespasser is 
absolutely crazy to me. You know, we've, well, I have worked a lot with like humble defector and things like this that give you value and blink. Like you need to be adding something to the board while you do that, especially in a format like Pioneer. So I totally agree with you, Dan, unless there's creatures that have legitimate come into play effects. And, you know, I think there aren't that many that I can think of. There aren't that many creatures I'm excited to recast because we don't have flame tongue Kavu like effects in blue and black that are good enough right now um, that kind of have me hyped. So we have to be on the lookout for that. Like I could imagine the, um, the, the four mana three, two flash that destroys a creature and they draw a card. Like you need some kind of effect like that where you're actually like drawing a way that re-affects the board. Oh, the new uh, Urtai. Yeah. Okay. But even that, like, I don't want to pay another four mana. Like, you're not drawing that powerful enough of an effect there. So if you had a creature that, like, edicted them, a creature that attacks their hand permanently, right? Like, there's a black, black, one, one that they exile a card from their hand. Okay. Yeah, there's also the Yarox Fenlurker, the two-mana version of the... Yeah, that's what I'm trying to think of. Yeah, Yarox okay. Fenlurker. That kind of effect, where you're actually going up a card, then you're, like, bouncing this that to your hand and getting to cast it again. Now, like, that's starting to be interesting to me. But you actually have to go up a card with the creature. And just drawing a card is, I think, a little too clunky. So, like, drawing a card with your two-drop, let's say it's a Fibblethip, and then, whatever, you play Kaito, you plus one it, so they can't block. You attack with Fibblethip, you do your damage, you put it back in your hand, you get to attack, you get to uh, do Kaito again to draw a card. You've spent six mana to not really affect the board. You've just like flipped through a bunch of your deck. Um, and that those types of plays make me a little nervous. So. so if we need a creature with an amazing enter the battlefield ability, I can't help but notice that the other preview here right beneath Kaito <laughs> does have an amazing ETB ability. In fact, it's one of the strongest I've seen in a long time. So maybe we can jump to that card. This is Kairumonix the Rat king this was an unofficial preview if we can use that phrase it just showed up in the amazon listing for some kind of bundle or something like that and unclear if they intended to preview with this at that time or not i'm not even totally sure that this is from the main set it has some sort of weird promotional numbering but let's just proceed on the assumption that this is an actual card from the set so tell me about karimonix the rat king so one black black legendary creature Phyrexian Rat. It's a 3-3. Three, three. It has Toxic 1. So players dealt combat damage by this creature also get a poison counter. And then other rats you control have Toxic 1. So when it attacks, it does 3 damage. Normal damage. That causes life loss and etc. And then it'll also add a poison counter uh, to your opponent. Um, the thing that really is attractive, as Dan um, was hinting at, is that when Karamonix enters the battlefield, look at the top five cards of your library. You may reveal any number of rat cards from among them and put the revealed cards into your hand. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. So rat cards, not rat creature cards. So this works with um, like the old school uh, tribal effects. If you want oh, to play yeah? those. <laughs> okay. <laughs> One in a black, you know, uh, plus three, minus three. What, what's, what's that called? Nameless inversion. 
Yeah, like this fine's name was Inversion. Get yourself a crib swap, swap a rat crib for swap. their <laughs> precious firstborn child. <laughs> it can find other copies of itself, which is always an effect that we like because it is a rat. You know, we, you guys talked a lot about uh, during the Rivaz, all the dragon stuff doesn't let you cast Rivaz because Rivaz isn't a dragon, right? Karumonix finds more of itself, if nothing else. Oh, well, I didn't even um, think, think of that just now. That's amazing. And looking at the top five and getting any number, again, it's not just one rat. So if you hit two pack rats and a Karamonix, right, this, that's not terrible. I mean, we're not talking about miserable cards here. Now, the toxic effect Dan and I have been chatting about, and I suspect this is the limited mechanic of the format. So that is probably borderline flavor text. If you attack them 10 times with your Karamonix, they will have taken 30 damage <laughs> by the time you do your 10th poison counter. And as we know, 30 damage is often enough to kill an opponent, <laughs> even in a world with uh, Omnaths and um, Trespassers <laughs> and everything like that. Um, but yeah, I, I love this coming to play trigger. And how, is that the kind of card that would fit well with Kaito? Maybe. that's. I mean, now we're, we're on to something. We're talking about a card that's drawing maybe more than two uh, cards. You can look at how many rats you can play. So, well, I agree with David. We'll just ignore the toxic thing on this card, at least. I don't think that's relevant. But that ETB, the closest comparison is Kalia Zenith Seeker, whose ETB looks at your top six, and she can grab a demon, a dragon, and an angel, which we found works brilliantly with changelings, as you effectively turn all of your creatures into eligible hits. So only one deck has ever been able to play that, and that's like a modern... Kalia slash Magda Changelings deck. You get a smaller version of that. This only looks at the top five, but as we discussed last week, Kalia can never find herself, whereas Karamonix can, and that's a game changer. That means you can easily just chain, you know, all the copies of this out of your deck. Two, whereas the Kalia thing only works with a very, very, very narrow subset of Changeling cards. Karamonix works with the rat tribe in general, and while that's not a strong tribe, there are at least somewhat plausible rats, right? There's always the 1-1 one, one death touch for one. I think typhoid rats is what it's called. There's any number of rotting rats slash burglar rats effects. Gnawing vermin, pack rat, as David mentioned. If you do think you're going to go into ninjas, there's the silver fur master. Uh, if you want to play combo, there's grease fang. He's also a rat. So it's not totally out of the question that some kind of rat, like actual rat deck, is the best home for Karamonix. And yeah, maybe Kaito was part of that on your top end. Yeah, I mean, you didn't name a lot of rats I'm excited to play, uh, I will say. But <laughs> this, this ability, maybe even the, the deck you just outlined, you don't play the 3-3 Cleric and said you play Karamonix because it finds itself. I mean, that maybe this replaces it in that build. Oh, and the, the changing black, black is yeah. yeah. Maybe this is just a better enabler, or you play whatever four of these and one of Kalia or something. I don't. I don't know how many of these effects you need, but the fact that it finds itself is the most uh, attractive thing to me. And the fact that it says other rats you control have toxic one, and that it's the the promo rare tells me that there's a rat theme. I mean, there'll be there'll be at least other rats, whether they'll be playable or not. Obviously, we don't know. I'm I'm encouraged. Yeah, I'm I'm moderately excited for this. Gonna temper my enthusiasm until I get a hundred percent confirmation that it's actually in the standard set. But we'll see. 
Also, like, Packrat is pretty good. I mean, I think people forget that Packrat was part of the best deck in Standard for a really long time. It isn't great in Pioneer, but people have, like, built around it. And Karumonix is the kind of thing where it fills your hand with a bunch of cards that makes Packrat really, really good. Only thing scarier than a pack rat is a pack rat with toxic one. Exactly. <laughs> we'll have to get the uh, little Britney uh, sound drop. Wow. Every time you hit your opponent, you just like play the little, <laughs> you know that you're toxic. Amazing stuff. Pre-drug Britney Spears was a wondrous thing. <laughs> All right, so that's a couple new previews from Phyrexia All Will Be One. With those out of the way, we can turn our attention to some deck lists. We've got about eight here, is that right, David? Yeah, something like that. Just random stuff I've been like noodling on during the uh, winter break here. So it looks like it's a mix of Brothers War potpourri. We are in our kind of last call for the Brothers War, and there's a few cards that, you know, maybe didn't earn a full week themselves, but clearly they've been occupying some of your mental space. So we've got a few decks like that, and then I see we have several decks using the card Growth Spiral, which, while not at all a new card, is the card that you identified, David, as perhaps one of the most powerful yet currently unplayed packages in Pioneer. Yes. So let's start off with the new stuff from Brothers War. The first list here looks to me like it is trying to exploit Urza, Lord Protector. That is the one blue, white, 2-4 legendary creature that reduces the cost of all your artifacts, instants, and sorceries by one. Then if you assemble Urza with Mightstone and Weakstone and pay seven mana, you meld into a gigantic Urza. But I'm noticing that this deck does not really play Mightstone and Weakstone. There's only one copy, whereas there are four copies of Urza. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested in Urza just generally. You know, I'm interested in Urza and I'm interested in Stern Lesson. Those are two cards we haven't really talked about, and they're very strange cards. Now, there's no Stern Lesson in this particular list. So people, of course, are trying to do the Urza meld thing, and that's fine. And they've talked a lot about how Urza reduces artifacts. That's also fine. But the fact that Urza is a legendary creature that reduces uh, instants and sorceries is sort of like unremarked upon because in modern, other cards do it better. Even in Pioneer, if you specifically want that effect, right, you can play Goblin Electromancer, etc., etc. Urza is a legendary card that does that, which means it works really well with the legendary sorceries from the first Dominaria set. Mm-hmm. I never know what these are called. Yeah. First so, Dominaria. yeah, like. Urza on turn three curves directly into a turn four uh, Urza's Ruinous Blast. (laughs) And one-sided Wrath of Gods are just absolutely insane. Um, And so this is a deck that basically is trying to... It's a control deck that's trying to play basically all legendary permanents to set up one-sided Wrath of Gods and the most powerful time walk in the format, which is Urza's Temporal Sundering. Now, you don't play Urza's Temporal Sundering. Yeah, sorry, Karn Temporal Sundering. Typically, you don't play Karn Temporal Sundering because what if you don't have a legendary card, six mana? Urza makes it like a better time warp. It's a time warp that actually bounces a permanent. It can bounce your own Mightstone Weakstone if you want. It can bounce your opponent's blocker. So yeah, this this is like a control deck. So we have, you know, our Force Sensor. We have Negate. We have Fateful Absence. 
Then we just have a bunch of legendary cards. So we have four Urza that helps us cast our spells. Two Teferi who slows the sunset. Again, a card that um, ramps us out to cast our five and six mana sorceries, which we can cast with Teferi in play. Or it can minus two to find them, right, on the following turn. So it ramps you to your whatever. Your opponent can't attack because you cast your Wrath of God or you cast a Time Warp. When you untap with your Teferi, you can minus two it to try to find another one. Um, our attacking creature that we're trying to win the game with is Dragonlord Ojitai. Again, another legend. Uh, it works very well with Teferi that can untap it after it attacks. Uh, it can find more pieces. Uh, Narset is another legend that helps us find our pieces. Herkel is an interesting card. Uh, it, it obviously ups our legend count. It's a fine blocker with four toughness. And then we're playing these uh, legendary sorceries, but we've all, we're also playing like Seagate Restoration and Amirius Call in our mana base. So you have more sorceries. We're playing a bunch of Planeswalkers I just listed. You can cast Consider in your main phase to find more instants, etc. Um, so yeah, like I'm not sure exactly on the counts of some of these cards, but I think this is a really interesting space that hasn't been explored yet. So Urza's Ruinous Blast, you would say that's the, the main payoff here. Kind of the one-sided wrath. Yeah, the legendary sorceries are, are what I'm interested in, yes. So I do wonder if we take the exact same shell and instead of playing four Urza, you know, I would cut down to like two Urza and just play two Baral instead. Because that's also legendary, right? That's the legendary Electromancer. And I, I don't think that Urza's reduction effect on artifacts is going to come up that often. There's only two artifacts Urza can even reduce. So if I if I just switch to a split of Urza and Baral, I think I have a better balance in my early mana curve. And I can keep some Urzas because that is convenient that, you know, once you've taken control of the game, you do need to win eventually. And it is possible that the Melted Urza could do that at some point in the game. Yeah, I actually, I, I really like that. Um, you could even just like cut down on a Hercule too if you really want the reduction effect. You could sort of have five uh, mm -hmm. between Urza and Baral and maybe only one Hercule. Um, and Baral is immune to um, Stomp, which is very important because I, I want my entire deck to be Stomp proof. But the thing that I feel like I'm missing is, okay, let's say I have either Urza or Baral in play. I get a discount on my instants and sorceries. I would love to see some kind of card draw that really allows me to just go off now chaining through the deck accumulating advantages and this deck doesn't really make a lot of space for card draw per se like it comes mainly from narset and dragonlord orjitai so I, I feel like if i had my cost reducer in play and there are several turns where i don't actually take advantage of it that i'm not getting as much out of it as i could yeah i mean you are playing seagate restoration in your mana base yeah like, pieces of the puzzle, we don't have quite enough for that. But, like, something in that space. Or maybe just Memory Deluge, I don't know. Something like that. Yeah, so I think that... Okay, so if you wanted to do that, I think you could very easily just, like, cut the Hercules, go up in your actual reducers, and then that justifies, like, probably cutting the Might Stone, Weak Stone, and then playing, like, two instant speed type of card draw effects in, in that space instead. Okay. All right, so that's Blue-White, Urza, Ruinous Blast, Legendaries. From there, we go to the card Stern Lesson, which David mentioned you've been intrigued by this almost since the beginning. It's two and a blue, instant. Draw two cards, discard one, and then create a Power Stone. It's a tapped Power Stone, right? Yes. I don't think there's a way to create a Power Stone where it doesn't come into play tapped. Ah. 
makes sense. They're very consistent with that. The Power Stone produces a colorless mana that cannot be used to cast non-artifact spells, but it can be used for anything else, casting artifacts or activating any number of activated abilities. They made these fairly cheap. Uh, This was... It turned out to be the limited mechanic from the Brothers War. I know I'd initially hoped it was going to be more of a prominently featured thing and constructed. But at the end of the day, the card Stern Lesson turned out to be one of the most reasonable constructed playable effects that incidentally generates a Power Stone. And that does raise the question of, okay, so if I have this Power Stone, how much is it worth or how much can I make it worth? Because if I could make that into like pretty close to a full mana, getting a ramp plus a draw two discard one is very, very nice. Yeah, so like we have draw three discard one. And what if we made the third card that we draw always a power stone, right? That's what this is saying. But we don't only have to discard an artifact if you compare it to um, big drinks. And to do that, then you have to find a use for this extra artifact that you're making. So one of the things I was interested in is that this uh, Power Stone helps you cast Torrential Gearhulk, okay. uh, which happens to be an artifact. So once you start down that road, you want to cast Torrential Gearhulk, you want to target Magma Opus. Okay, that seems pretty reasonable. Stern Lesson helps is a ramp spell towards Torrential Gearhulk. It is a filtering spell. It can naturally put Magma Opus into your graveyard. Um, I think um, Gabriel Nassif had a similar idea and built a blue-red deck as well. I have played previous versions of this, found cards I liked and didn't like. Um, This is kind of where I've settled on. So I have realized that one of the cool things you can do with the um, Power Stone is you can put Saw It Coming and Behold the Multiverse uh, into the whatever zone <laughs> is that a zone i don't know <laughs> the land of prophecy the cards yeah. foretold so yeah that that's actually been really cool it basically is just a straight up mana to cast beyond the multiverse because beyond the multiverse only costs four if you uh two to you know put it in suspend and two to take it out um you can also cycle your shark typhoon um we are playing a single celestis it's just a reasonable card to play you can um, pay for the channel on your Otawara and your Sokens in. You can crew up your Hall of Storm Giants, and then you have Torrential Gear Hulk. And then I have a single Galazeth. Again, our deck has tons of instants and sorceries, so Galazeth also helps make it a uh, full mana. So th- this is the version that I've, I've settled on. I was really struggling with Mono White. I'm main decking two Anger of the Gods. They don't kill a single card uh, in our deck. We are playing 24 lands. Plus two spike field hazards. Again, we're, we need just help against Thalia, who has been wrecking me over and over again. Uh, spike field hazards also fine against turn one mana elf. Hitting all your land ops is important. Um, and then, you know, the magma opus, torrential gear hulk thing is kind of known. I think some people have adopted stern lesson in like the red, red, red X lists, which are, you know, way more boring. This is like a much more controlling shell. Uh, so yeah, I'm super excited to try this. Like I had, it wasn't a disastrous league, but it was, I was frustrated by how some of the clunkier cards. So I've really pushed the mana curve down and I found a bunch more ways to use the stern lesson, um, artifacts. So th- this is where I ended up. Yeah. You mentioned the indomitable creativity. That's the red, red, red X in pioneer torrential gear Hulk turns out to be one of the better things you can get off creativity. 
because um, it's a card that is just sort of playable on its own, especially when it's buying back Magma Opus. That's the big finish. But even if it's just recasting the Stern Lesson, that's not the worst thing in the world, right? Turn three, Stern Lesson, create a Power Stone. That Power Stone becomes your target for Indomitable Creativity on the next turn, which then gets one or sometimes even two Torrential Gearhawks, recast a Stern Lesson, and, you know, something else. From the graveyard so i do feel like even though it is boring you could even put that in this deck i mean you just take the celestis out and put in a creativity or two it's it's almost fully compatible with the shell despite the changes as you said shifting towards a more controlling strategy yeah i mean i think there's an indomitable creativity deck people can play and there's different finishing um creatures you can play in that shell uh, yeah, this is trying to do something different. This is a much more controlling deck. This is just a control deck that has a combo finish. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the Indominal Creativity deck is a playable deck. I think it is currently playing Forcer and Lesson for Fable. Very reasonable thing to do. And uh, people should check that list out if they are interested in like going all in on the combo. So the other thing that this deck is making me wonder... I feel like one of the most consistent ways to use your power stone every turn is to have an activated ability in your mana base. Right now you have four utility lands, you have two Hall of Storm Giants, one Otawara, one Sakenzin, but none of those lands are ones that stick on the battlefield every turn. A card like Castle Vantress, for example, that's an easy way to do it. So you could easily put a castle in there. You mentioned the card Drownyard Temple to me a while back. <laughs> Did you ever do anything with that? Yeah, I have it in uh, a future list. Okay. I mean, that's a hilarious use, right? It's a card that you can bring back from your graveyard directly into play for even more sketchy rampant growth effects. I love these. We're just three mana. Yeah, I like the idea of Castle Vantress. I think that's a, a good add as, a, as at least a one-of. Because we're playing six islands. And another card that's more speculative, but I do wonder if there's hidden power there is Hall of Tagsin, which I believe taps for colorless, but its activated ability is four and tap to create a power stone. Does that sound right? <laughs> yeah, I have to look it up. I, I know there's a card that makes power stones. Yes, Hall of Tagsin is four mana tap, create a tap power stone. Right, and those power stones can then be used to fuel future activations of the Hall of Tagsin. Seems a little silly, right? Like, why are we spending so much effort to just make cheaper and cheaper Power Stones? We're getting more efficient over time, but, I mean, the deck you've got sketched out in front of us actually has Menacing, so, like, you could eventually just hardcast Magma Opus very, very easily with two or three Power Stones lying around. Your first Power Stone off the Stern Lesson gives you a nice discount on your first Hall of Tags activation, and it just snowballs from there. Well, the Power Stones don't help you cast Magma Opus is the big problem. They only help you cast Torrential Gear Hulk. Okay. They help you cycle a big shark typhoon, then we could say. There's stuff to yes. do with them. That, it's not trivial, yeah. So the way I built this deck, we have Saw It Coming and Anger of Gods on three, and that's blue, blue, red, red. So the colorless mana is not free, but it's not nothing either. Hmm. Uh, one of the things I noticed, which is why I'm not playing a Dig Through Time either, is Graveyard Hate is really tough against these shells, and it's actually devastating to the... Um, creativity deck you know you just play rest in peace and the deck loses immediately this deck is trying to be a little more fair because it has shark typhoon plus the stern lesson plan uh plus celestis 
plus Galzeth. You have all these cards actually good against Graveyard Hate. And the card you're outlining is actually very good against Graveyard Hate, right? So it doesn't worry about Magma Opus. In fact, often you cut a Magma Opus or two in post-board games where you think they can attack your graveyard. Um, huh. And it might be that that card, I don't think it's impactful enough to be a sideboard card, but you could find a way to put it in the mana base. Maybe you don't want Anger of Gods as your sweeper. Maybe there's a less color-intensive one-on-three you could play. Uh, you could play the two in a red instant, for instance, which is always reasonable with a Torrential Gearhulk uh, as a like a flashbackable um, sweeper. Oh, uh, Causal X Return? Yeah. Now, we don't have a way to trigger the other ability, and you have to decide if two and three are the same. Um, in the matchups where it really matters, maybe it's, it is as good, and the fact that it's instant speed is interesting with certain lesson. So if you do that, then I'm a little more interested in what you're describing. Another card to consider is if you wanted like, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of other, other ways you can take advantage. Like the thing is, I don't think you need to bend your entire deck to be using the power stones for stuff. If you just have the occasional use for them, they don't have to make a mana every turn because your lands don't always make a mana every turn. Like we don't get really upset if we just pass with three mana up and don't spend it. Um, so mm. I, I have found that like bending your deck so far to play cards that are, I don't want to say marginal because the card you described is actually kind of interesting. Um, but you know, I was playing like, what's the two mana maze, maze, mind tome. Mm-hmm. It's like, Oh, I need to, I need to be, always be using this mana every turn. It's just like maze, mind tome is not a main deckable card in pioneer. And um, so like bending your deck to be always be able to use these power stones is not that needed, especially because you only have four cards that make them. And just like one card, like Galzeth just turns them on forever. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Let's you cast your magma opus, lets you use them to do anything else. So. Okay. All right. So still thinking about stern lesson, we got a couple of variations on the theme here. Once we've identified that the most powerful top end is torrential gear Hulk, we can put our stern lesson power stone toward that. We do have different ways to round out the show. Yeah, so I've got a blue-white Stern Lesson list. Now, this list I don't think is optimal, but I really wanted to play for Urza for uh, Mightstone and Weakstone. Both of those cards, Stern Lesson and Urza, just naturally curve you into a turn four Mightstone Weakstone. And that, in certain matchups, is very good. It's very, very good against uh, Red-Black. If you think Red-Black is the scourge of the format, this turn three Stern Lesson into turn four Mightstone Weakstone kill their shieldred or whatever. Um, is absolutely insane. And then Mightstone Weakstone plus the Stern Lesson token means that your Torrential Gearhulks functionally cost three mana. That's obviously <laughs> uh, um, quite insane. Combining Urza and um, Mightstone Weakstone together is reasonable. Urza actually makes the hardcast Magma Opus cheaper, which is not trivial. Um, again, we're playing Sensor, and the card's just great with Urza. You can play it on four with Urza with a sensor up. I also have Fateful Absence Negate. I'm playing Settle the Wreckage in this list because we have Urza we want to keep, and Settle the Wreckage is the only flashbackable sweeper, good sweeper with Torrential Gearhulk. Uh, people, I think, kind of forget about this mm-hmm. interaction. I'm playing like variable amounts of consider in these lists. This one has four. Kind of anytime I'm playing the Urza shell, I want to be playing consider to have card selection to move away from my other Urzas and Urza making other spells cheaper um, makes me more into spending the mana for consider. 
So yeah, again, I don't know if this is good enough or not, but I really like the idea of playing a deck one time with four Urza, four Mightstone, a Weakstone, and I think combining it with Stern Lesson is reasonable because Urza also makes Stern Lesson cheaper. There's just a lot of internal synergies there. Well, on the point about Consider, you're saying you're not sure how often you want it. Would it make sense to replace Consider with a two-mana selection effect so that it, it does benefit from Urza's cost reduction? And then when you do actually have time to cast it, you get a more powerful effect, you know, whether that be Impulse or whatever, whatever you like. Yeah, it's possible. I... Playing that type of game, though, is always interesting. You know, that was always a question when um, Goblin Electromancer was in standard. You know, some decks played, like, ops, and then other decks were, like, playing all these two-mana selection effects. So when they had the Goblin Electromancer in play, they were more powerful, but their fail state was much worse. And it might be that Impulse is, is just better than Consider, um, especially when we're not playing like a dig through time type of effect at the same time, consider being able to put magma opus in your graveyard without having to cycle it uh, is not trivial either. So you have to play around with that or maybe like split the difference. I think in a lot of your sideboard games, you're going to actually take Urza out against decks with a lot of creature removal. And then the fact that if you bias your spells towards being great with Urza in play, then you've kind of put yourself in a bad position. So in a two-color deck, consider on turn one is very reasonable to help you hit your land drops. Impulse is not a good way to hit land drops. Um, yeah. At the same time, on turn four, impulse is way better than consider, especially if you have if you played Urza. So, yeah, you kind of need to decide. I, I tend to just be less greedy in these situations. I'd rather play the low-powered card that's better all the time. Um, but... A lot of people have been having success in Pioneer, <laughs> you know, not playing any interaction at all and just hoping that, you know, they, they get their nut draw when they need to. And that, and that might be the way that this deck is, is better situated. Yeah, that makes sense. So the final variation here goes back to the Is It colors. Again, Magma Opus, Tarantula Gear Hulk, Stern Lesson, that's the core. But the card that really jumps out immediately is... In the five slot, instead of Mightstone and Weakstone, we have a forgotten mythic Pyromancer's Goggles. It's five to cast. It taps to add a red mana. If you use this red mana to cast an instant or sorcery spell, rather a red instant or sorcery spell, you actually copy that spell, choosing new targets if you like. So it just randomly doubles your Magma Opus. It randomly doubles your lightning bolts, or in this case, fire impulse, because we're in Pioneer. It even can double up a card like Thrill of Possibility, and it does so in a very attractive way, because it copies a spell you don't have to pay the additional cost, right? So you can just cast your first Thrill of Possibility, discarding one card, but the Pyromancer Goggle gives you two additional cards off that. Yeah, so if people remember, and this is going to be older now, but there was a standard deck that played Pyromancer's Goggles with red removal spells. Thrill, Thrill Possibility did not exist yet, so there's a Sorcery Speed version of that, and then Magmatic Insight. So I wanted to combine that shell with the sort of Trenchal Gearhulk Magmatic or uh, Magma Opus because, again, your graveyard's going to get attacked after the first game, and Pyromancer's Goggles is actually just an insane fair card, right? If you just play. Stern Lesson on three, they 
exile all the graveyard. Okay, I can't do my Torrential Gearhawk. I just play Pyromancer's Goggles. Then I have this crazy card advantage engine. Um, and one of the pieces of technology in the deck that I think Brad Nelson took to the top eight uh, in a red-green Pyromancer Goggles list was to combine cards like Mag Magmatic Insight and the Sorcery Speed Thrill possibility with Drownyard Temple. So Drownyard Temple is a colorless land, but if it's in your graveyard, you may pay three colorless to put it into play tapped. So that is another natural way to ramp to five. So Stern Lesson on three makes a, uh, a Power Stone. We play our land. We cast Pyromancer's Goggles. Or we have two mana open. They don't play anything we want to censor. They play around censor. Okay, they're an excellent player. We Thrill of Possibility, discard Drownyard Temple, draw two. Play our third land. Again, we have Counter Magic open. If they don't play anything, we just put the Drownyard Temple into play tapped. So it just that's our natural curve mm. uh, to get up to five on four. And we're actually up a full card because Thrill of Possibility discarded Drownyard Temple to replace itself and then draw another card. And then now drawing our temple functions sort of as like a super power stone uh, where the mana can be used for anything. So we have two magmatic insight, four thrill of possibility. Those are cards that are good with drawing your temple. They are good with magma opus because that's a card we want to put in the graveyard. But they're also great with pyromancer's goggles in the mid to late game. We have this card advantage engine um, that also just happens to you know make our fiery impulse great and our, our anger of the gods great. So th this is just something I'm kind of interested in trying. We get to play all of our interaction, but we get this top end with Torrential Gearhulk, Magma Opus. Sometimes we get those nut draws. And then when they try to like play fair against us, we just cast Pyromancer's Goggles and it's, and it's just an insane, like quote unquote fair card. Like it's a very difficult card for uh, red, black or something to beat. Yeah, the goggles are very exciting, but I'm even more intrigued by those lines you just outlined with the Drown Yard Temple. Correct me if I'm wrong, but when that package was in standard, there was no thrill of possibility, right? You, you only had a sorcery speed version of that effect at two mana. Yeah, so I so I looked at Brad Nelson's list. He was playing three magmatic insight and four of the sorcery speed thrill of possibility. But because we have the updated thrill of possibility, we get to sort of combine it with a sensor, right? The damned if you do, damned if you don't. We've all played around sensor in the format. We have a blue and a red up. Are you going to play around sensor? Okay, then I get to throw a possibility. Are you going to play into sensor? Then I get to, you know, spend two mana to counter your fable or whatever. Yeah, I I kind of love this. <laughs> I like wondering if there's even more ways to take advantage of Drawnyard Temple. Like, is there anything that destroys one of our lands and one of their lands, or you know, a hero or something? Just any random effect that lets us sack a land for advantage. There's not any that I know of. Uh, I have not done like a. Super search for it, though, to be fair. Well, if this turns out to be sweet, that would be an awesome blast from the past. Pyromancer's goggles with a little help from Stern Lesson. But yeah, that's four different flavors of Stern Lesson decks. I mean, yeah, you've been tinkering with this so far. I'm, I feel like there's promise here, and I feel like at least one of these has got some explosive potential. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm excited to try them out and, you know, we'll just have to see what happens. Like I said, I, I played an original version of like a Stern Lesson deck that was kind of combining a few too many of these ideas. And I think breaking these out into different sort of shells is uh, going to allow us to see which one of the, these is more feasible. And then we can kind of iterate from there. All right. Next deck here, totally different direction. 
Still with the Brothers War, we're talking about Lauren of the Third Path, 2 and a white for a 2-1 human artificer. Enters the battlefield, Lauren of the Third Path may disenchant one of your opponent's artifacts or enchantments. Lauren also has an activated ability, tap, each player draws a card. Lauren has Vigilance, so if you want to attack and tap, you're allowed to do so, but that's not so important. The main thing is that Lauren, just for the ETB effect alone, is already pretty good. We've seen a shift in the last month or so in Pioneer towards lots and lots of main deck copies of artifacts and enchantments. Enchantments specifically, Fires of Invention, Temporary Lockdown, Leyline Binding, Fable of the Mirror Breaker. Lauren has so many targets, Enigmatic Incarnation. The question is, is that enough to actually build a Lauren of a Third Path deck? Right? I mean, you're not going to build a deck around Night of Autumn. Right? That's just not enough of an effect. So is there something there in that last activated ability that opens up some new brewing space? Yeah, so of course we invented the blue-black Narset Days Undoing list, and people have been kind of returning that, which is awesome. Uh, Gabriel Nassif, I think just four-order preliminary. And it's funny, the technology they're using, what is it, two years later from when I built the list, is still the same. They're still playing like Ritual of Soot to preserve their Notion Thieves. Um, <laughs> and of course, you know, Gabriel Nassif, super great guy, awesome, spectacular magic player. You play against this deck a lot in the queues. Now, I think he picked that up from somebody who did well in one of the challenges. This, the general shell has been around for a while. So we already have a, a shell that is wanting to like main deck for Narset and some number of Notion Thieves. If you have those cards in play, then Lauren is very good. And like you said, the only reason this is interesting to me is because the number of enchantments and artifacts that people are playing is really high, right? Uh, even artifacts are around in the sense that you have against mono green, you know, Karn's going to put an artifact into play and um, the red green like vehicles list has, you know, and even even um, Grease Fang, right? You're just going to play against a lot of chariots that, that that's going to happen. So if Lauren is main deckable, and it's not always going to be good, right? If you play this list against <laughs> Mono White a bunch of times, you're like, man, Lauren really sucks. But if you play against these other cards where Lauren's a full-on two-for-one, and then you actually get to draw an extra card with Narset or two cards with Notion Thief, you're actually in an incredible position. So this list is, is trying to try that out, right? We're not just playing blue-black. Our mana is a little worse. Uh, Splashing the White is definitely not free. But, um, you know, we're, we're basically playing like the same kind of shell that I uh, created, whatever, three years ago with sensors and fatal pushes and Ritual of Soot and Baleful Mastery was a cool ad. Um, Narset's Notion Thieves. And we just have Lauren of the Third Path and a couple of extra white cards because we're splashing white. Then Vito and Vanishing Verse are, you know, worthy. And yeah, it's just to see see what we can do. Urtai is also an interesting uh, addition from a recent set because Urtai is great with Notion Thief in play, and it's it's mm -hmm. very good with uh, Narset, you know, in their upkeep or whatever. So, same kind of shell. And um, Rona's Vortex is a is a piece of technology we didn't have at the time. We had to play uh, Brazen Borrower, which you know can't block. It was a very awkward card. <laughs> um, Rona's Vortex is the kind of card I would have one hundred percent replaced. Brazen Borrow with at the time, and now I can. Um, the minuses are, like I said, our mana is worse. 
And because our mana is worse, we don't get to play as many creature lands to end the game uh, kind of out of nowhere. So, you know, it is what it is. It's, it's, it'll be interesting to see how good Lauren is. If you, if you play a bunch of, like, red-black and Lauren, like, blows up a fable and then draws a, uh, a bunch of cards and they have to kill it, then it's awesome, right? If you play mono-white a bunch of times and Lauren doesn't do anything, then <laughs> it's going to feel pretty bad. I played a few different lists that just happened to have Lauren's in the sideboard in the last few weeks. More often than not, I'm bringing Lauren in just based on how oh, those yeah. matchups. I, that's that was my sense as well. Like uh, bringing Lauren, charming princing Lauren, uh, this feels pretty awesome. So yeah, you play enigmatic incarnation. And they're like what main deck Lauren. Then the next turn you play Notion Thief. You like steal their draw when their enchantment comes into play. Then you tap Lauren. Like the game just ends. <laughs> that that doesn't seem fair. <laughs> Yeah, so I think Lauren is actually quite good on balance. Obviously, against Mono White, you just take the L, go to the sideboard, and hope that you can shore things up there. Although, looking at the overall curve, I, I doubt that you can. <laughs> but that's okay. <laughs> you know, we're never going to build a deck that's super great against Mono White. That's just the nature of <laughs> the types of cards we're attracted to. But yeah, I like the look of this one a lot. Yeah, so at some point, you know, I just need to try it. Um, I, you know, was told for a while that, oh, you can't build a, a days undoing list. And, you know, now it's just like a thing you can do in the format. So we have to push it all the way. <laughs> it's just Lauren, maybe Lauren's just as good as it gets. Exactly. All right. So from there, we leave the brothers were behind and we have a couple ideas here, focusing on the card growth spiral, a card banned at the very end of its run in standard, but for a long time, everyone agreed this card is one of the most powerful things you can do in Simic Colors, one of the most powerful things you can do at two mana in general. And yet, it does not see play in Pioneer. You explained a couple weeks ago why you thought that was the case, and maybe it was just that people were had kind of forgotten about Growth Spiral, or just were not thinking outside of the box enough to realize what this card has to offer. Glad to see you've taken it upon yourself to kind of put your magic cards where your mouth is and given us three new decks here to consider. Yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that happens when people insist a card is good or bad is you should just be able to show that, right? If a card is bad, you should beat it a lot of times. And if a card is good, you should be able to make a list with this card that is successful, right? So now gross spiral is a powerful card. We all understand that explore would never be printed in the format. So the costs are, you have to play a bunch of land sources. You have to play blue green and you have to have blue green early. Uh, and blue green does not have a lot of interaction, right? Those are, those are the, the prices you must pay. So typically that means we're going to combine blue green with an interactive color. And luckily the other three, you can pick <laughs> any of the other three that you like, um, is very interactive. Um, I think the last kind of growth spiral deck was, you remember there was that Saltai deck, Dan, that was playing like the learn mechanic and then uh, five mana, um, the five mana green planeswalker that makes your forest tap for an extra mana. Oh, and this is who shakes the world. Yeah. You remember that shell? It was like a. Kind of. I mean, it did feel like it was trying to take some of the best parts of the Nissa standard decks and just spruce it up a little bit with some black interaction right exactly so that was kind of the last time we saw growth spiral so that told me that black's an interesting color to add exactly like dan says very interactive color the card i was kind of interested in is micromancer another card that quote unquote wasn't constructed playable but Nist gabriel nasif again has had a lot of success with it so 
The thing I didn't like about it is Micromancer isn't great because it often comes down like it felt like half a turn too late. Well, Growth Spiral fixes the problem. Um, one of the things with Growth Spiral is we don't want to accelerate to something that doesn't draw cards because then we kind of get stuck, right? We, end, we have all these land sources in our deck. It's relatively easy for us to get flooded. So what if we turn three Micromancer? Micromancer always draws a card, and you can see we've got a bunch of one-mana spells that we can pick from. So we have four Fatal Push, two Traverse to Elvenwald, a Thoughtseize, a Ronas Vortex, Cling to Dust is our, like, um, <laughs> way to escape being, you know, running out of cards. A Wash Away, which is actually a hard counter, functions as a three-mana hard counter that we can tutor with Micromancer. And then March of the Wretched Sorrow is our, like, catch-up mechanism against aggro. I always love playing the sensor growth spiral combo on two, right? The kind of put your opponent in the position, damn if they do, damn if they don't. Because we're playing traverse and it's a tutorable traverse, uh, we have a bunch of creatures that are good in certain matchups. We have a one of Lear, a one of Shieldred, a one of Urtai, and a one of Kalidus. Then two Ritual of Soot, and then three Shark Typhoon, both as sort of our finisher with all of our mana. Or an enchantment that can go to the graveyard very easily uh, when we're keeping our growth spiral sensor up. And then just a one of Narset, uh, again, just to keep cards flowing. And um, yeah, so Micromancer in a blue-black control shell. I think uh, Gabriel Nassif has shown that that card is actually quite functional. This is looking to cast it earlier um, and still take advantage of the uh, utility of it. But also because we're playing green, Traverse Ulvenwald is just a really interesting card to, to get to add to that. We get to play uh, very good creatures. And Micromancer itself ends up being a bit of a win con when you, uh, you know, you're drawing all this interaction. Yeah, the three three body is actually pretty good. We found that to be the case even in modern, where you you don't need an extra win con in the deck. You can just ephemerate Micromancer enough times that you have infinite cards, and then the three three bodies will end the game themselves. In Pioneer, even more so. You know, three three trades with all kinds of things. It's bigger than a Fable token. It's just not quite fast enough at four mana. So yeah, the growth spiral makes perfect sense to complement that and unlock some of Micromancer's potential. The question that we have to come back to, I think, is growth spiral itself, right? Okay, we like what it's doing. It makes sense for the curve. But if that's the case, like, does it actually provide something that Sylvan Karyatid does not provide? Because if we are committed to this plan, you know, maybe the Karyatid is just guaranteed to get there. What's the trade-off? Well, Gross Spiral is an instant. Gross Spiral draws a card. Gross Spiral does not get wiped away by your own Ritual of Soot, for example. However, Gross Spiral is hard to cast and doesn't always ramp. And it doesn't block. Yeah, so I mean, th th that's exactly right. So is Sylvan Karyatid better than Gross Spiral most of the time? In a control shell, I think it isn't. We want to play sweepers and we want to combine, we want to leave up mana because I think sensor is a super powerful card. So, and then basically all the ones that Micromancer finds are all instants as well. So I think those things are all reasonable. Also, Gross Spiral happens to be better with our one of Leer, mm. um, just as a way to like have a ton of deck velocity. Uh, Gross Spiral also goes to the graveyard. So if you're playing a dig through time like effect or a cling to dust or whatever that that's relevant um also if you're playing narset it's a hit like you wouldn't be able to play narset in this list if you had four sylvan carry added it does leave you super dead to thalia if you have a growth spiral and it could have been a karyatid but you're probably going to lose that matchup anyway <laughs> to be perfectly honest 
Yeah, I mean, Micromancer is actually awesome against Mono White. Um, since it almost always trades for like one of their their best two drop or they have to delay a bunch until they can pump it and then you also get to find your fatal push or march to catch up so yeah the 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 fact that we aren't playing carry added means we get to main deck ritual of soot ritual of soot is insane against mono white um and if they don't have thalia specifically on two gross spiral letting you ritual of soot on three uh if you need to or micromancer on three get a removal spell they have to play another creature out to get through and then you ritual of soot and leave your micromancer in play so in general, I think these types of decks struggle against specifically Thalia, but Sylvan Carry Added I found is like not actually very good against Mono White. It's mm. good the first couple turns, mm. but it ends up not being able to block. Like blockers are not a good way to deal with Mono White, which is one of the reasons why Sylvan Carry Added is good. It's one of the reasons why like you guys are talking about liking like a Wall of Omens like effect in the um, the the flying Wall of Omens that draws with a dragon. Mm-hmm. Like blocking effects are not good in this format. The the quote unquote aggro decks are. Like spirits, mono white, red green, but it's like kind of a comboy. Like there's a bunch of small creatures, and then like mono green is kind of like an aggro deck. Blocking isn't really good against all of those. So I, I've grown in. I mean, I I of course love Sylvan Carry added, but I think this is the kind of place where you have to experiment if, if Gross Spiral is better because being able to censor on two or ramp is really interesting. Yeah, agreed. So, that's a Sultai version trying to unlock Micromancer with Gross Spiral. As you mentioned, we just need to find another color to complement Simic with some much-needed interaction. We tried it with black, but you could also do it with white or with red. Yeah, so I kind of built one for each of those. So, we've tried a bunch of, like, Bant shells with Gross Spiral, and the thing I didn't like was we were often trying to play, like, the... um, night pack ambusher which put us heavier into green and then oftentimes it's like oh if we're playing growth spiral should we play lotus field and then we were trying to play strict proctor which actually made our deck vulnerable to removal so instead i i said why don't we just build the deck where growth spiral into lotus field is just a reasonable thing to do um even if you don't have the strict proctor or, or tails end or discontinuity or whatever and then the Lotus Field Teferi interaction is still powerful, and we can just get there without Strict Proctor. So I moved Strict Proctor to the sideboard, which is I think like people have been really hesitant to do. I just don't think it's very good right now. It's only good against Mono White um, to 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 have in your main deck, and that allows you to basically like play a full on control shell. So we've got twenty eight mana sources, but four of them are Jawari Disruption. So again, we get to play our Jawari Disruption Growth Spiral, quote unquote combo. We get to play Tails End Discontinuity. Uh, we get to play Disallow as our counterspell, which can also uh, stop the Lotus Field trigger. Uh, we even have a full-on one of Thespian Stage we can use to copy our Lotus Field. And then the rest of our deck is just super, super controlling, right? Four Memory Deluge, three Wandering Emperor, two Supreme Verdict, because we're not main decking any Strict Proctor, and then we have Shark Typhoon to Fairy. So uh, interested to see how this works out. We tried... Some shells like this before, and this is a way, uh, I think, to like lean into some of the lessons that we learned. The fair lotus field. The dream. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we even get to play, you know, temporary lockdown because we don't have uh, Strict Proctor in our deck. So we aren't worried about exiling it ever. So our best sequence would be on turn two, let's say, we grow spiral. And then we have the option, let's say, to 
immediately play the lotus field off that growth spiral. Do we want to do that, or do we want to hold the lotus field and try to execute the combo with the tail's end or the discontinuity or the disallow? Well, I think the fact that you have growth spiral means you aren't all in on that. Normally, what you'd have to do with the other one is just wait. You play two mana, hope you can interact with your opponent, and then on the next turn, you tap out, so you get behind. You play your Lotus Field and Tails End it, let's say. Mm -hmm. So, okay, fine. You ramped yourself a bunch, and next turn, you have access to six mana. But now your opponent gets to do whatever they want against your control deck, and you're hoping you draw the right pieces to interact. Growth Spiral lets us kind of split the difference. All right, we Growth Spiral, we'll draw. We've got... We could play a non-Lotus Field land or a Lotus Field land, depending on the situation. We can play the Lotus Field just as our normal land, and it lets us, whatever, temporary lockdown and play another tap land. Or we can Grow Spiral play a non-Lotus Field land and then do the combo thing on the next turn if we want. Um, but you're not locked into one or the other. You don't have to play Strict Proctor, and because you're playing a Grow Spiral list, your Tails Ends and Discontinuities uh, and Jawari Disruptions are like way, way better because you always kind of have the option. So then in terms of exploiting a Lotus Field once you have it, in this build, we're just using Teferi 5, right? Four copies of Teferi Hero Dominaria and a single Thespian stage in the mana base. Now, in earlier attempts, we'd messed around with some weaker effects that play nicely with the Lotus Field, notably Teferi 4, who slows a sunset. Kiora is another option, who I think will feature in the next build. But are these cards that, you know, you've just given up on based on the lessons we've previously learned? I still love Teferi 4, um, but it just does not play well with what the rest of this deck is doing because it would be the only sorcery speed thing that isn't a sweeper after we get beyond <laughs> two mana. Um, See, so yeah, I, just, I just don't think you need it. I think Memory Deluge as a four of with a four of Teferi is all you need to do. That's the thing that's going to keep you from flooding. Access to all your mana. And unlike the blue-green list, the like full-on combo Lotus Field, because we're white, we just have ways to stop them from making our Lotus Field make mana. Teferi can minus, March of the Otherworldly Light, or Temporary Lockdown can get rid of their hate piece. Um, so the, those cards are fine to bring in against us, but they aren't game-breaking by any stretch of the imagination. So I think the, the four of Memory Deluge and the four of Teferi is kind of all the payoff you need, because it just draws you everything. Very nice. All right, so that's a Bant version of Grow Spiral Lotus Field. To round things out, Splashing into Red brings us into Team or Colors, where in Red, one of the most exciting payoffs for Lotus Field is Blood Sun. Two in Red, Enchantment, enters the battlefield, you draw a card, so it's a little cantrip. It wipes away all text from lands except their mana creation abilities. So that means with Blood Sun in play... Lotus Field comes into play untapped. It does not make you sacrifice anything. You just immediately have a land that taps for three of any color. So Blood Sun can set up a six mana turn the next turn with the Lotus Field. Even on turn four, you can go like Blood Sun, immediately play a Lotus Field, tap it, uh, play, for example, Kiora Behemoth Beckoner, you know, a card we've liked forever, and now that people have finally started using it to untap Nykthos, it's just a staple of the format. Play Kiora almost for free, quote-unquote, because she can immediately untap your Lotus Field again. And who knows what else you do with your mana. You're just off to the races at that point. So this is a package, Kiora, Lotus Field, Blood Sun, that's, you know, is this powerful or are these kind of sketchy cards? I guess that's the question. I guess it all depends on what they're supporting and how you actually finish the game from there. So, yeah. We were one of the first people to play Lotus Field a lot in Pioneer, and we played a lot of Jeskai shells, so it was... Kiora, 
Teferi on top. So I think going to Bant helps the more controlling shell. I think going to Teemer helps the Kiora shell. So this is the first time we'll ever have played four Kiora in a deck with four Lotus Field, and we are not playing white at all. So this is an experiment in using Kiora as both a ramp piece and a card draw engine. So we have a bunch of creatures that trigger her. We have four Bone Crusher Giant, which I played a lot in the Jeskai version and liked. We're playing four Shark Typhoon as a card we can cycle to get. So for six mana, we get a 4-4 that draws two cards with Cure in play. For Night Pack Ambusher, um, Shark Typhoon, Bone Crusher, these are well, half of Bone Crusher's instant speed. Three Hullbreak Horror is just a card that like lets us go over the top in these like aggro mid-range matchups. Um, and then a Mirror Shell Crab, which is actually kind of a super cool techie card. Uh, you can channel it to stop the Lotus Field trigger. But then in the late game, it's just a reasonable card with Kiora in play because it has ward, it draws a card when it enters with Kiora. Uh, just a big a big body. And Teamer actually gives us the best mana for all this because we have Jawari Disruption, Valakut Awakening, um, Glasspool Mimic. These are all the best MDFCs that work well with the Growth Spiral Lotus Field package. Mm. Valakut Awakening is important because... You can get flooded. We're playing 30 possible mana sources, plus four Growth Spiral, plus four Teferi. She, in theory, replaces herself, but doesn't always. Um, so Valkyrie Awakening lets us cycle those away. Obviously, Jawari Disruption and Growth Spiral I keep harping on that, but that's... Like, on turn two, you can have Jawari Disruption, Stomp for Bone Crusher, and Growth Spiral all up. And just based on what your opponent does, you can interact in whatever way you see fit. And then Glasspool Mimic, again, just... Super insane if you copy a Hullbreak Horror or a Nightpack Ambusher with a bunch of wolves in play, um, but also a land if we needed to be that. So yeah, just really interested in this type of shell. Again, we are um, not all in on like the Tails End thing, right? We found that those cards can be very polarizing, very powerful when you have them in your opening hand, weak cards to draw later. Tails End specifically is always interesting because it counters Thalia, counters... Um, the 04 out of Mono White. So Mono White's a matchup that I think exploits Lotus Field very well. So Tails End is, is going to be always be a card you want because it's actually quite good against them as just a fair card without your combo. Tails End also very good against Mono Green. So yeah, we, we have we have like a shell that I'm interested in trying. Nightpack Ambusher is sort of my experiment in like what is a card I want on four. If we don't have our Kiora, we just grow Spiral naturally into Nightpack Ambusher, like as instant speed on the end of their turn, and then we, whatever, have five mana untapped on the next. Um, if at any point you get to get a second Nightpack Ambusher and it's making 4-4 four, four Wolves uh, with Kiora in play, obviously the game is over, um, but I don't know how often that'll happen. One of the most important things we've learned about Lotus Field from all these random Lotus Field decks is you really need to have a million lands in the deck. Like, you need a million. You've got 24 proper lands here, plus six MDFCs. Worth keeping in mind if you try this, Grow Spiral does not allow you to play an MDFC. It only allows you to play right. a proper land. So make sure you account for that in your sequencing. But yeah, it, basically any time that you have a Lotus Field in your hand and you don't have two other land drops, you feel like you're the worst magic player in the world. And you are, because what were you thinking? Right? You gotta put a million, play a million lands. The same is true for Grow Spiral. Anytime you cast it and don't have a land drop to make, you feel pretty bad. So what I like the best about this list of the three we just discussed is that it plays the actual highest land count. Um, and yeah, we shouldn't forget about the green MDFC, Battlegate Recovery, which the actual Lotus Field combo decks have gotten a lot of good use out of them. 
I wonder if that's actually more powerful than Valakin Awakening. Um, there's just another card to consider, and it does allow you to set up Growth Spiral more cleanly than Valakin Awakening does. Yeah, I think in this shell it's less powerful, but it is definitely better on the mana, and that is that is definitely worth consideration. Yeah. So we put our trust in the Hullbreaker Horror and the Shark Typhoons, and we'll just hope they get there. But, I mean, yeah, the real test is, does this mana package work? And, yeah, as far as Teamer goes, I mean, this makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so those are all the lists I'm looking to play over winter break here. Um, I'm not sure which ones I'll get to first. I do think that Gross Spiral is something that we're going to continue to explore. Obviously, they keep printing more powerful three and four mana cards, so Gross Spiral is only going to get better. Um, but yeah, as for the stern lesson, uh, you know, I love playing, uh, at instant speed. And so one of these lists we're, we're going to find is, is very powerful. So we'll, we'll see which one it is. Yes, absolutely. Power stones better than rampant growth. <laughs> <laughs> Drown your temple <laughs> free rampant growth for everybody. Yeah. The year of the free rampant growth. That's 2023. That's my dream. Hopefully. All right. Thanks, David. See you next time. All right. Take care.